Welcome into the Locked On Knicks podcast. I'm Gavin Shaw. Today, I'm joined by Locked On fantasy basketball host Josh Lloyd to answer some more big questions about the upcoming Knicks season. Are they still all in on R.J. Barrett? Could Quentin Grimes make a Desmond Bain-esque leap in year three? And is Julius Randle doomed to regress again? That next. You are Locked On Knicks, your daily New York Knicks podcast. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. And I think we see Willis coming out. There he comes. Starts without a five. Willis for the win. Yes. Up, up left. Now fires it. You are locked on Knicks, and this episode is brought to you by FanDuel Sportsbook, official sportsbook of Locked On. Make every moment more. Visit FanDuel.com slash Locked On today to get started. And I want to thank you for making Locked On Knicks your first listen today and every day, um, because that would make you an everydayer and therefore one of my favorite people. If you want to join the ranks of the everydayers, all you have to do is subscribe and hit that notifications bell on YouTube so you never miss an episode over there. And be sure to do the same on the audio side. But if that's not enough for you, if you're a real freak and you want to talk more Knicks with us, you can now do so on subtext. That's right. We are now offering a service where you can text us your Knicks questions and we will text you answers. We'll give you our latest thoughts on everything going on with the team. Uh, you'll be the first to hear our thinking after each and every game. And uh, we can just go back and forth and talk about the team. Also, if you, if you want some personal questions answered, I'm, I'm, I'm happy to do that. But uh, who's talking to you? I'm Gavin Shaw, your favorite play-by-play broadcaster's favorite play-by-play broadcaster. As mentioned, uh, I am lucky enough to talk to my favorite Australian today, Josh Lloyd, uh, continuing off from Friday's episode, answering some big questions about the Knicks. So without further ado, let's get into it on Locked on Knicks. Minutes change. And the other thing with tips, this is my Tom Thibodeau therapy session where I've got to go, man, I have to admit that he's changed, but I've also got to criticize him on something. How does a man who played and coached Joakim Noah to a top five MVP finish as a point center hub take a point center like Isaiah Hartenstein and for years and years and years turn his center position in the in lowest usage players in the entire NBA? It doesn't matter who's there. Robinson, Hartenstein, Noel, they're running at like an 8% usage. Why is he so against the center's? touching the ball ever and Hartenstein is a, is a guy that should be touching the ball and we've heard those maybe complaints from Hartenstein's girlfriend about not being used correctly which I 100% agree with why is he just gone completely away from centers you, you never you're never allowed to touch it ever ever again and that is my strategy yeah so I, th- I think it was a couple of things um he he loved Nerlens Noel that that first uh, really good Knicks season uh, during the COVID year in 2021 and I, I think since then um he's basically been like all right how can I uh just have my backup center cosplay as Nerlens <laughs> Noel. And even though that really is not Isaiah Hardenstein's game, he was to some extent trying to fit him into that mold. And I think a little early in the season, they were trying to give him an expansive role and it just didn't click right away. And, and a big part of it was the injuries. The fact that guys like Cam Reddish were in and out of the rotation, obviously Evan Fournier, Derek Rose were running out. And and as a facilitating center, a guy who doesn't have the ball in his hands, like even, even in, uh, outside of a Nikola Jokic, right? But like even in the best of circumstances for an Isaiah Hardenstein, he's not going to get a high volume of touches. And it becomes so essential that he gets an opportunity to develop chemistry and get reps in that role. And I think there were so many things going on. Like, like it just 
stop being a priority for Tom Thibodeau. And then they started winning despite the fact they didn't have that. And then there was, I, I mean, you know, Tibbs, like he's not going to make an adjustment in the best of times. He's certainly not going to make an adjustment when things are going well. Um, To his credit, to Isaiah's credit, that got better the last 20 to 25 mm-hmm. games of the season. Started being used as a hub a lot more. I think getting Josh Hart, who's an excellent cutter, helped a lot playing more minutes with Deuce McBride, who's also developed great chemistry with him, helped a lot. RJ Barrett was really good playing with the second unit, cutting off of Hartenstein. So I think it was a combination of Tibbs inputting that, Isaiah getting his confidence back a little bit. He just started playing more aggressive on both ends, and I think that created a sense that like every part of his game was more accessible. Um, and then that sort of went away in the playoffs again. So I guess we'll see where they're at to start the regular season. But I, I, I was, my confidence was buoyed by how the year finished. Uh, let me tell you something about Hartenstein is that once the last 10 games of the regular season when Randall was out, 7.1 assists per 100 possessions, which is higher than the number he had for the season before with the Clippers. So maybe there's some of a Randall factor there because obviously Randall plays a lot of minutes and it crosses over with both units that when Randall wasn't there, they were using Hartenstein in that role a little bit more and he was still able to do it. So that's something just to watch in terms of Hartenstein moving forward. We talked about Barrett a few times. Are they still in on him? You said, you mentioned already a name, like he might be traded. We might see him benched for quickly or Hart getting into starting or closing lineups. Um, Where are they with him? We're four years in. There've been marginal improvements, but I, I think it's fair to say he has not lived up to the expectations of a number three overall pick. And even though, like you said, he had a, a decent playoffs, he st- I think he still had the worst net rating on the entire team throughout the playoffs as well. While all the other starters were positive, he was like a minus 17 net rating during that time or minus 17 on off, which again, still concerns me. Are they, they're not, you know, given up completely like how they did with Toppin, but he's not untouchable. Yeah, I, I, I think the best way to sum it up would be they're in on him until they aren't. Um, the, net, the net rating stat, I think, paints a perfect picture where you, you watched him play, right? And there were some some real great moments in the playoffs. The, the stretch um, from game three to, I think, five against Cleveland where they put Karis LeVert on him and RJ just said, all right, I'm going I'm to go kill this guy. And he did it over and over and over again, went right through him, got to the rim. And I don't think the Knicks control that series the way they do without RJ's one aggressiveness, but two, his his willingness to just repeatedly get into the heart of the defense and make the right play. And, and that is an essential quality on the Knicks because you, you look at him, Randall and Brunson, obviously Randall and Brunson have decent assist numbers, but they're, they're also guys who like to put their heads down, like to create, and, and, and Brunson's efficiency justifies it. Randall's efficiency justifies it sometimes, but he's a slow decision maker. Brunson, for a point guard, can sometimes be a little bit of a slow decision maker, and RJ got much, much better um, in the playoffs at just making the simple play over and over again. His defense, um, as far as I could tell, was substantially better than it was in the regular season, where I, I thought for the second straight year, really took a step back when it looked like he was emerging as, as perhaps an above-average player on that end. His second season, it was it was really ugly at points last year. The regular season was absolutely a regression on, on a season before that was a regression. It got really, really bad. We got really low on him. And then the playoffs, he did great. But to your point, the net rating still wasn't there because a high-volume guy who is just not an efficient scorer of the basketball, and in particular, not very good from three-point range, is just not an ideal fit next to Jalen Brunson and Julius Randle. You you plug in someone like, obviously, this is the higher end of this type of guy, but an OG Ananobi, oh, yeah. um, completely different team. But you could even give me a lower-end example of someone who's, who's just kind of a pure three and D wing. I don't know. Like, I mean, Cam Johnson maybe even will be too lofty, but him without the creation, like, I, I think this team would be far better off with someone like that in that kind of role, but because of his contract, because of where he was drafted, because of what he means to the city, I, I don't think the Knicks are going to minimize him in any sense um, until they have to when he's traded. Who's the breakout candidate on this team and why is it Quentin Grimes? He was my answer. Yeah, okay. um, it is absolutely Quentin Grimes. He put up 14 points, 
three rebounds, three assists post All-Star break. He shot 51% from the field, 45% from three. If, if memory serves, that was on about eight attempts per 36 minutes, so certainly not low volume, 79% from the line. And he was getting those numbers done, Josh, and, and still didn't really get a lot of opportunities in terms of self-creation. And look, we always reference this with Grimes, but the pedigree is there. Coming out of high school, he was the top uh, point guard recruit mm. in the country. Coming to the University of Kansas, they were saying like he was going to be maybe the best freshman they've ever had because of his ability on the ball, because of his ability to create. You see flashes of it. Fred Katz had this great stat. I'm not sure what the final number was, but about two months into the season, he had the best blow-by rate in the entire NBA. He shot 71% at the rim. That is absolutely elite for, the, for a guard, 84th percentile in the NBA. He is a really fantastic passer in those situations when he beats his man off the dribble and in the playoffs. And, and granted, might have, some of this might have been injury, but I was begging for the Knicks when, when Miami was putting Duncan Robinson on, saying, hey, get Grimes the ball and let him go one-on-one. But he just never got those reps during the season, never got to build that confidence with Dante DiVincenzo in the mix. Obviously, Emmanuel quickly could argue for a bigger role. R.J. Barrett presumably wants a bigger role. Jalen Brunson wants to make an All-NBA run. Um, it's going to be tough for him to get those touches. I, I think if the Knicks are smart, they should force feed him because he is someone who has to be on the floor in the closing minutes of games and, and someone who could absolutely help them with a little bit more work off the dribble. And I, I expect him to top out is right around a 40% three-point shooter this year on volume. I, I think his second half performance is more accurate of his shooting talent than his first half struggles suggested. I was big on him last preseason because I just assumed that he was going to be in that mix to start. And then he got injured in the preseason. And when he returned, he basically was put straight back into the starting lineup and looked great. And I love a player like this who does a whole bunch of stuff in college. He's the number one guy, high usage point guard, and then ad- adapts his role, then changes it. And hey, you want me to do this? I'll do this. And then as you see, the season goes on, his usage rate climbs and climbs and climbs. He gets more comfortable. And I think there is a real takeover potential with this guy at some point coming up in the future. We can, people can talk about, yeah, Josh Hart might be a better player now. This guy's 23 years of age. In three years' time, I think he's going to be a, a real monster. I really love what he's able to do and the ability to scale, which some players can't scale up, some players can't scale back. I think he can do it both ways. I think we've already seen that. And I think that when the when the time comes and Barrett is gone or Randall's maybe gone and Grimes is 26, that he will be that second usage player who's getting 25 a night and averaging 18 points and hitting threes at high volume and becoming a really valuable player. So I'm excited to see what he can do this season. What about on the the negative side of that? What about a regression candidate? All right, guys, next on Locked on Knicks, it is an absolutely loaded question. Julius Randall, he has had one really bad year, one really good year, another just terrible season, and then the best season of his career. Is he due for another bad season? Will the trend continue, or can he turn it around? We're going to get into that next, plus a really fun game to wrap up the show. But first, I want to tell you about our friends over at FanDuel, whose football season is about to kick off, and FanDuel is giving you the chance to win all season long. Because right now, when you bet on a Super Bowl winner, you can get bonus bets every time they win in the regular season. So just pick any team to win the Super Bowl, and you'll get bonus bets for every victory and it's so cool because you can use your bonus bets on spreads player props over unders and more so go visit vandal.com slash locked on to start earning bonus bets with america's number one sports book that's vandal.com slash locked on so visit vandal.com slash locked on and start earning bonus bets with america's number one sports book that's vandal.com slash locked on uh i got a chance to go on vandal the other day and it was a whole lot of fun i bet Team USA to uh, win by less than 30 against Slovenia. You know, uh, Slovenia, Slovenia. Um, I, I just, I I wasn't, I, I thought it was a little bit of a Ewing theory with Luka Doncic. I thought they'd take them a little likely. Only won by half a point, but uh, was able to pull it off. So I hope you could do the same and go win some money on FanDuel. 
it, it, it has to be Julius Randle, right? If, if you were if you to look up regression in the NBA dictionary, you would see a big, big picture of Julius, right? Terrible, terrible, terrible his first year on the Knicks. Um, I, I, I didn't get to watch him a ton on New Orleans, but from what I remember, even in contrast to what he did for the Pelicans a year before, then comes back, uh, puts together a second team all NBA season. Incredible hero, face of New York, all that. Terrible playoff performance. He's shook, comes back. He's uh, thumbing down the fans. He is, is cursing people out. He is uh, walking off the court after uh, emotional comeback victories. He's, he's not who you want to be. And then last year, like, he give him credit. Like, he put the work in. He was so clearly in the best shape of his career. Like, had a career high in dunks last season. Was exploding by people, jamming in their faces. Eight three-point attempts per game. At one point, was leading the NBA over a long stretch, multi-month stretch, in three-point attempts because he just cut the long mid-rangers that doomed his efficiency totally out of the diet he went basketball vegan last year it was incredible incredible to watch um and 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 like you could you could just look like in terms of efficiency like like here's the clearest cut percentage like first position his percentile in the nba in points per shot attempt four years ago 24th percentile three years ago 42nd percentile two years ago sixth percentile last season 65th percentile so that is absolutely a roller coaster i think the good news in terms of him being sustainable is that the three-point shooting wasn't crazy. That first season, he went all the way up to 41%, mostly in empty gyms. <clears throat> that, that was kind of a telltale, yeah, like, true. blinker sign saying, hey, this might not last. Went down to 31 in 2022. Last season, again, 35%. So I, I think he's in a much better place mentally. It sounds like he's putting in the work again this offseason. To me, the biggest thing is that the, the physical fitness is still there. And if it is, like, there, there's always going to be some ups and downs with him. But I, I think he'll give you pretty close to what he brought last season. I have a feeling that you're looking at his clean the glass profile at, at the same time that I am here. And it is an absolute unbelievable thing to have a look at because some of the numbers you take a look at and the ups and downs of him, and it's where I get a little bit concerned about that regression is that he went from the 15th percentile and finishing at the rim to 62nd. That's a big jump. He went from 36th percentile on his mid-range shooting to 40, to sorry, 31st percentile to 71st. Now, he yeah. did cut down a lot of those shots. His three-point shooting improved. Like his short mid-ranges went from 30th to 78th. And like, he's probably not going to sit at that terrible season from the year before, but basically every sort of shooting number was a career high last season. Three-point attempts, three-point volume, finishing at the rim. Everything was the best stuff that he's ever done. And when everything is career best, like it is hard to, again, make everything career best again the year after. Having those two gigantic big improvements can be tough to do. So he, yeah, I, I am a little worried about where those things uh, go with him. But like we've detailed earlier, if it doesn't go for him, well, the, the, the team doesn't go really. That's, that's going to be the thing. Who's the most likely player to be traded? We've mentioned a few names here. There's RJ, there's Quickly um, with impending restricted free agency. Who's the, oh, there's Yvonne Fournier who absolutely wants to get out of there. Who's the most likely to be traded? Yeah, I get Evan Fournier is the easiest answer. He's, he's going to get traded at some point. He is uh, begged and pleaded through every form of media he can to, to be dealt. So I, I don't see any world where he's on the Knicks by the end of the season. It would, it's not going to be a fun ride if he is. Um, but I'll, I'll give you a more fun answer. I, I think it is one of Emmanuel Quickly or R.J. Barrett, and, and this is where things get tricky, right? Because I, as I outlined before, I'm of the belief that Quickly is an infinitely better player than R.J. I, I don't think there is any world where it's close. They are just about polar opposites in terms of the statistical impact they had. I mean, you painted R.J.'s like absolutely negative net rating. That was the case all season. Quickly, on the other hand, they played like the best team in basketball pretty much whenever he was on the court. And yet, you have to ask yourself some real questions with him. Um, how much money does he ultimately want on an extension? 
The Knicks obviously have to uh, worry about extending Quentin Grimes as soon as next offseason. They have to worry about paying Jalen Brunson probably over $300 million over the life of his next contract. They have to worry about like if if you want to keep Julius Randle just as an asset and and, and have that contract running a little longer. Like if, if he doesn't crap the bed, like that's going to be in the $200 million range. So do you have money to pay a guy who's going to top off on a, on a team with Jalen Brunson as probably just the best six man in basketball, which is valuable and he's going to close games and he is an awesome defender and an awesome shooter and got dramatically better at the rim last year. But does he want to be a starting point guard? And I, I cited the stats earlier. I don't have to cite them again. Like I think if he wants to start in this league and, and thinks he could do more and thinks he could be an all-star one day, I don't think that's crazy. I don't think that's out of the question. So if he ultimately wants that, I think the Knicks are obviously going to try to get some value for him. And then RJ, I don't, I don't really need to go over it again. I already outlined the reasons, but I, I just don't think he makes a lot of sense on a team built around Jalen Brunson again, unless the three-point shooting gets quite a bit better. I'm not a trade machine guy and I'm not even going to open a trade machine to see if this works, but I just had a thought about it because you're right, quickly is a starting point guard and I don't see him being a starter next to Jalen Brunson. I just don't know how that works long-term in terms of the size of those guys and, and all that stuff. Look, quickly he's not small, but he's not huge, right? Uh, same with Brunson. Um, what about a... Look, yes, I don't know if it works or not, but what about a straight-up swap to the San Antonio Spurs for Keldon Johnson? Um... Again, I so let me let me let me share my perspective and then the Knicks perspective. My perspective on this is I would absolutely start quickly and Brunson together because those lineups kick butt okay. all of last year, even in the playoffs. And I, I think quickly again there, there are going to be matchups like particularly you're playing the Celtics and Jalen Brown's at the two. He's he's going to be given some trouble, but quickly yeah. again statistically, not in terms of his matchup versatility, not in terms of his size, and and more so because of him being an off the ball genius was one of the better defenders in the NBA. And even if you lose some matchups because of size, if a team is going to build their strategy around going at a defender as good as Emmanuel quickly, um, a guy with I don't know, like a six eleven wingspan, I'm 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 going to be um, ultimately okay with that. Um, maybe I'm exaggerating the way it's something it's something crazy. It's plus six, plus seven, plus eight. Anywho, um, but to answer your question from the Knicks perspective, I could absolutely see something like that happening. I would not be shocked if something like that happened, like getting like a wing who can shoot a little bit better. Again, that would kind of make you want to move RJ Barrett somewhere else. But yeah, I, I'm, I'm a big Keldon Johnson fan. I think he would be a, a really good fit there. Look, if you if you could somehow do that for Devin Vassell, uh, sign me up for a second. I don't know if San Antonio is going that yeah, far. Yeah, I, the, I, I, the more I think about it, like Keldon Johnson's a little RJ Barrett-ish, like not sure he can rebound or pass or steal or block or do any of those things or be efficient. He's been more efficient than Barrett in his career. So I think he's probably used a better player than Barrett, but he's a little Barrett-ish in terms of a player. But that was just something I had a thought about. Let's go to um, win projections. Last season, they were 47 and 35, the seventh best net rating in the NBA, plus 3.4. Fangio Sportsbook has them at only 44 and a half wins, which... I don't know. seems crazy. Now, I've dropped them down. I've got them at 45 because I am worried about if Randall gets hurt, they're cooked. And if Randall regresses, I don't know what happens. So I have dropped them down. You've gone at 52. You're expecting a big, big jump here for the Knicks, uh, Gavin. Yeah, it might be. I'm, I'm, I'm looking at now. I'm looking at next to your number, looking at the Fandle number. It might, it might be a tad homerish, tad optimistic. But let me make my case. Uh, 57 win rate after Josh Hart was traded to the Knicks last yeah, year. And again, enough. that was that was possibly built on some unsustainably hot shooting from Hart. He shot 52% from three and then completely tanked in the playoffs. And and him shooting like that, like it's hard to overstate the cascade effect that had on every single lineup he was in. And he he honestly played like borderline like a star player last year as a Nick. Um, can they get the same from him um, this season? Uh, who's to say? But I, I just I think they have a very good case to be the deepest team in the NBA. They are not playing a below average player outside of 
arguably Barrett at, at any mm. spot in sure. their rotation. Um, I, I think Brunson has a chance to make a leap this year. I think there's a world where Grimes is substantially better. I, I don't see why Emmanuel quickly with the way he works won't be a better player this year. I, I think the, the obvious chemistry element you get from bringing DiVincenzo in, but also the fact that he's just such a good fit with his ability to further space the floor, to be a solid defender, to be yet another undersized rebounder who's absolutely elite in that capacity relative to his size and position. I, I just think this team is ultra deep. There is some downside there. If Brunson gets hurt, m- more specifically if Randall gets hurt, yeah, things things could go bad. And, 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 and you're banking on him continuing to be reliable. He has been throughout his career. Ever since missing his entire rookie season, he hasn't been a big injury risk. Um, so I, I think this team has a chance to be really, really good. And I think people are underrating the continuity factor there. Like, that is about as good as any team in the league from last year and and a team that again was playing once they got Josh Hart about as well as any team in the league last year. So it's those two things that have me very optimistic about how many games the Knicks can win. Let's play a game. Let's do the gritty Knicks version. Now the teams you've got to pick for here, the Mavericks, the Bucks. I don't know why I chose that Bucks logo, the Bucks, the Pacers, the Timberwolves, the Pelicans and eight rebounds per game. So it's Knicks only. We're one player. You can only use him once. Um, the way we're scoring this rarity score-wise is we're not competing against millions of other people. But what it is, is that we're looking at the games played for either of the two teams. We choose the lowest of those numbers, and then I rank the lowest of those numbers. So if someone played 400 games for the Knicks and one for the Mavericks, and you choose that player, well, you get a really low score because they only appeared once for the Mavericks. And then for the eight rebounds per game, it's eight rebounds per game in a season while playing for the Knicks. And then we rank those on how many total games that player played in their career for the Knicks, where do you want to start? Uh, let's start. Let's start Mavericks. I'll I'll, I'll throw out one of my uh, all-time favorite Knicks, uh, Frank Nilakina. Frank Nilakina, future Hornets legend, Frank Nilakina. That is obviously correct. The score on that is not bad. It's actually I thought it would be um, higher. It gives you a thirty-nine point seven seven. He played one hundred and five games for the. Uh, which team? For the uh, Mavericks. It's 105 games for the Mavericks. That's 39th percentile out of everyone who played there. So where are we going next? Oh, uh, whew. all right. Let me let me think this through. Um, we can go Timberwolves. Um, Minnesota Timberwolves. All right, let's 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 do this. Yeah. All right. I want to... This is going to be too high of a percentage. I want to... Stefan Marbury is my all-time favorite Nick, but let me, let me try to think of someone a little bit rarer that has played for both teams. Ooh, there's some good ones. Taj Gibson. Taj Gibson is correct. Unfortunately for you, it is a little too correct because he played a lot of games. In terms of the guys crossing over between these teams, he is like the third highest amount of games. Luckily, oh, no. luckily for you that Stefan Marbury was the first there, so you would have got 100 if you had chose Marbury, but Gibson is a 90.63. Marbury was the most. Someone asked if I can relay the highest and lowest, and you know, I might as well do that. The lowest number uh, of games played, or the lowest score you could have got was Darko Milicic, who played eight games for the Knicks. Wow. So there you go. You, you could have got a, an eight-game Darko in there. Um, all right, let's let's do the next one. Where are we going with the next one? Um is that is that the Bucks in there? That is the that is the Bucks. I know it's a. Te- I don't know why I chose that logo. That is the Bucks. Okay. All right. Let me. I gotta. I gotta think this through because there's no one at the top of my head. Oh, there's a real good. There's a real good one. The Bucks. I just. I just saw. All right. Um, Knicks Bucks. Um, I know Bobby Portis, but again, that's gonna be one of the highest ones. I think. Um, 
trying to think of like a guard. I feel like there's there's a guard that played a lot for both of them, or not so much for the Bucks. Yeah, that, that's where you want to go. You want to go for the ones that played a few games for one of the teams. We'll, All right, let me let me let me let me circle back to the All Bucks. Right, we'll back uh, can, to I, can I go? Can I go? Because I just came to my head. Can yeah. I go? Alfred Payton for the Pelicans. Alfred Payton for the Pelicans. You can go with Alfred Payton for the Pelicans. Let's see where that end takes us. Alfred Payton, a uh, very weird New York Knicks tenure. He only played forty-two games for the Pelicans. I thought he played more than that for them. Um, so that gives you a score of twenty-two point two for Alfred Payton. That's not a bad score. 22, right, oh, 20 point one. sorry for that one. All right, and then Pacers, I'm going to go uh, Chris Copeland. Oh, that, that's the best one. I, I hope it works. I hope it's a good score. I love the Chris Copeland one. He played about 10 yeah. games for the Knicks, I feel like, after signing that contract. Um, Chris Copeland. Oh, there you go. 13.61 for Chris Copeland. I didn't announce the uh, the high score or the low score for that. So for the Knicks Pacers, the highest score one was Mark Jackson. Of course it was. And the lowest score is Solomon Jones. There you go. Mm. Um, all right. So we've got Bucks and then the eight rebounds per game. Okay. Um, let's go. We could start with the eight rebounds per game. Um, I'll tell you, there are yeah. 30 players in New York Knicks history who have averaged yeah. eight. They don't have to have qualified with a certain amount of games played for the Knicks. That's, that's yeah. an interesting thing. 30, 30 individual players who have had seasons of averaging eight rebounds per game. Uh, and it had to be when they were on the Knicks? Had to be when they were on the Knicks, and you're looking for the guy who played the fewest career games for the Knicks. Ooh, that's a great category. All right. I want to say someone like Earl Barron. Maybe if he's played like two games on the Knicks, but um, I, I doubt he's on there. All right. Uh, is, that, is that an answer? It's, you, you, might, you might want to lock that one in, yeah. All right, let's do it. Let's go Earl Barron. Earl Barron is correct. And that is the lowest possible score you could get let's for that go. one. Earl Barron let's played go. eight games for the Knicks and averaged over <laughs> eight rebounds. I'll tell you what's the other there's two really yeah. popular names here who are very low scored. DeAndre Jordan played nineteen games yeah. and Joe Kim Noah played fifty three games for the Knicks. And I don't remember. I, I couldn't I couldn't have done that one. I wouldn't <laughs> want to win that way, Josh. <laughs> <laughs> I can't believe you played fifty three games. Anyway, last one is the Bucks. Let's uh let's see what you get here. I hope I hope you get the one that I I hope you get, but I don't. I don't know if you will, but it is a, a legendary one if you can get it. Can can I get a hint on that? I'm really I'm struggling here, Josh. I need he, a little help. He's a current he's a current NBA player. Wow. All right, and barely played for the Knicks and for the Bucks. He barely played for one of the two teams. Barely played for one of the two teams. Oh, I should know this. Oh, that's a great mm. one as well. Can I get a position for him? Is that too? Is that uh, There he's a big man. Bigish man, big yeah, bigish man, P power forward center, power forward center that played for the Knicks oh, and well, Bucks. Chris Copeland qualified for this one as well. I didn't realize that. Oh, that's a good one, man. I'm I'm, I'm brain dead right now. All right, I'll, I'll I'll take the hit on it. I'm just I'm just gonna go Bobby Portis. All right, let's go with Bobby Portis, and I'll tell you the good ones there. Bobby Portis, I don't think he's as high as you assumed him to be. Let me have a look. Yeah, yeah, I guess he didn't play that much for the Knicks. No, he didn't. He, what did he play, like a season there? Yeah, 66 yeah. games for the Knicks. That's 27.43. So not a bad overall score there for Bobby Portis. The one that I was hoping he would get was Thanasis Antetokounmpo, who played oh, two yeah. games for the Knicks. And then I saw another one, Luke Cornett. 
played one game for the Bucks. I don't know when that happened, but he played one game for the Bucks, and he would have been one there. And then Wes Matthews played two games for the Knicks as well. There's some that's, real that one I should have gotten. That's yep, he classic Nick uh, coming over in the in the KP train. Oh yeah, and then Langston Galloway played three for the Bucks, so there were a few really random ones in there. But we got through it. You get a good score in the end. Gavin, thank you for coming on. Tell us what's going on at Locked On Knicks. Oh man, we 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 got a we got a full week up ahead. We're we're to have um, a special guest. Uh, I'm, I'm not gonna not gonna say who, but from from Kings Nation on to debate uh, Jalen Brunson, De'Aaron Fox, Julius Randle, Demontis Sabonis, the the former best low key rivalry in the Eastern Conference that no one really cared about outside of those two players. Uh, so that's coming up later this week. We'll have our thoughts on the Josh Hart extension. And uh, yeah, Josh, you you always do incredible work. Big fan of your pod. So uh, always happy to come on. Thanks thanks for bringing me in. Appreciate it, Gavin. Go check out Locked On Knicks for all the stuff they've got coming up through the offseason. Gavin, thanks again for coming on.